Hey teachers, my name is Adva Hanan and I am obsessed with everything early childhood education and supporting you through your teaching career. I help you feel supported, encouraged, and continue learning throughout your time, both inside and outside of the classroom. I'm an early childhood teacher who saw a huge gap in how early childhood educators were supported and guided throughout their classroom experience. Classroom management, teacher burnout, and distance learning are all topics we cover here. So get ready to learn, grow, and become the best teacher you've always dreamed of being. Let's make an impact together. Hello, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to be here with you today. Do you want to know why? I have a super special guest coming on today. Her name is Jen. Jen is a BCBA or a board certified behavior analyst, social worker, and special needs mom. Her specialties include behavior modifications, all things special education, parent coaching, and school advocacy. Jen works with teachers, learners, and families to develop realistic intervention based on positivity, empathy, empowerment, and compassion. So today's episode is full of value, and I am so excited to introduce you to Jen and to introduce her to Shaping Little Minds podcast. All right. Let's dive in. Welcome to Shaping Little Minds. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so we're going to start with just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do right now. Okay, so my name is Jen Unangst, and I have a business. It's Jennifer Bennett Consulting, where I work with families of children with autism and other neurodiversities. Um, to help them navigate the special education school system and learn how to find cohesion at home. Um, this actually was born because I am a, also a mother of a special needs child who was not given the services that he needed in school. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was an uphill battle for quite some time. So going through that process, um, And now sitting at the other side of the table, I'm a board certified behavior analyst in a school district, um, and I'm also a social worker. And I watched a lot of parents go through the same thing. I also watched teachers struggle with behavior modification. So I wanted to come up with a way to help all of those people. Amazing. Amazing. Um, So... As you mentioned, you're you're a BCBA. Can you tell us a little bit about how to become a BCBA um, and what that role looks like, just so that if any teachers are interested in learning about that, they can um, move forward with it? Absolutely. So the BCBA certification requirements are ever changing, um, <laughs> and they just changed again. So. I hope that I'm speaking to what is current, but when, when I did it, which was honestly not that long ago, um, I ha- already had my master's in social work. I also taught. I was also a teacher. I forget mm-hmm. because it feels like so long ago. Um, <laughs> but when I was teaching, I really wanted to ask the kids about their day and, and how things were going at home. Um, mm-hmm. So I became a social worker. Right. Through that piece, I found behavior was was kind of where I wanted to be. And so if you have a, as a teacher, sorry, if you have a master's in education 
um, you can go on and take a certain amount of credits to become a board certified behavior analyst. So hmm. you do you do need to take more classes, um, and then there's a certification piece, or you can get another master's, which is what I did. Um, I went back and because they weren't accepting social work at the time. So I went back and I got a second master's in applied behavior analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to also do, I believe it's 2,500 supervision hours right now. Oh my gosh. It's long, but it goes by way quicker than you think. Um, and then you sit for the exam. Okay. It's a process, but it's, but uh, tell me, is it worth it? It is so worth it. For me, I was doing all the things, not all the things, I was doing a lot of the things that (laughs) I would have done as a BCBA without the certification. And I know a lot of teachers are also, they're making modifications, they're providing accommodations, they're looking at how behaviors impacted by the environment. And so becoming a BCBA is almost a natural progression for a lot of us. As teachers. As absolutely. Amazing. Um, You just mentioned a few, you know, services that you can provide as a BCBA, but can you like dive a little deeper into that um, so that teachers who may be thinking about it can kind of get an idea of what a BCBA would be doing inside a classroom and, um, you know, that could kind of make their decision final. (laughs) Absolutely. So as a BCBA, I'm actually a school district BCBA. Mm -hmm. Um, There's different kinds. Some uh, BCBAs go into the home and work with students there. Some BCBAs are clinic-based, so um, kids come to them or adults. It could be anyone. I am primarily elementary. So my role within the school setting, I have um, a handful of classes of students with autism that I oversee regularly. So with that, I am looking at the programming, uh, looking at different skill sets that they may need, working with the teachers and um, devising those programs or skills that they may need. Also addressing any behavioral concerns, um, making modifications and things like that. Um, And then additionally, you get pockets of of different kids in different, my district is large, different buildings that are strictly um, behavioral consults. So you go in, you observe the student, work with the teacher, and then come up with all the great solutions. Fun. But that sounds like, honestly, that sounds like something I would, I would have wanted to do if I had known more about it when I started my journey. Um, But Um, Okay, so speaking of giving kids services and you helping teachers in the classroom, um, what are some signs that teachers can look for when a student might need services or support inside a classroom? So there are a lot of different signs. And I feel, unfortunately, at times, because teachers are so busy and right now classes are packed Um, support staff is very limited, Mm -hmm. that you may not catch all of the students that actually need the supports. Interesting. 
because we have heavy hitters. That's what I like to call them. For example, the student who is acting out in class, um, the student who may be falling behind, but not enough. And like, so you have the kids that are really are standing out. And those are the students that we say, oh, they need supports and services. Right. But you also have to look for students who are struggling. Maybe you have a student with ADHD who is not as hyper, but yet unfocused, unorganized. So you may need to provide supports in that capacity. So if you see that that student just really cannot get themselves together um, organizationally, time management, maybe they're taking a very long time to complete assignments. So that would be something that you can start to say, hmm, I should keep an eye on this or I should intervene right now. Um, We have other students with different neurodiversities. And I think that one of the major pieces to look for really are, is the child thriving in the classroom? Are they able to, to keep up academically, emotionally, socially, um, and kind of just gauge from that? Yeah, I have definitely um, had those students that I've been concerned about. Um, that aren't necessarily the ones who stick out. And those are kind of, those are the ones who are, that are important because they could fall behind and then not necessarily have the tools to succeed after that. Um, yeah, I have to be honest. My son was one of those kids. He, he, um, he wasn't a behavioral concern. He wasn't, he was bouncy, but it was like him shaking his leg. So he was in his seat, but he was lost in the sauce. So he would not be able to complete his grade level work. They were kind of like, oh no, it's fine. And when they tested him, he tested on grade level because he was in a one-to-one situation and having the the all of the questions read to him so it it actually he presented like he was right where he was supposed to be but if you looked at all of his schoolwork and if you looked at um, even his ability to to have comprehension it wasn't there right you know so those are the kids we have to really to look out for be mindful of yeah I also was a kid with disabilities Um, and, uh, I also had no behavioral issues, but I definitely was, I was not on grade level when I was young. I actually just recently looked through my IEP, which was very interesting to me. (laughs) Um, especially now (laughs) because I teach and I look for those signs in other students. So anyway, that's beside the point. Um, no, totally. Cause we take all of our own personal experiences and bring that to the table. So, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I know that for me as a teacher, when I was teaching in the classroom and if I was ever concerned about a kid, first thing I would do was go to, go to the, my boss, the director. And, uh, and that's only because like, I also wasn't necessarily given the supports in school. Um, and it was really, really hard for me. Oh, uh, nobody thought I would make it past a bachelor's degree. 
and I have two bachelor's degrees and a master's. So that's awesome. It's, it, you know, you can really make progress when you have the right support system. A hundred percent. It makes all the difference. Okay. So speaking of support, um, what are the steps to a student getting the support or the services that they need? I know everything, it all changes. Like it, it, it differs, but I know that there are certain steps to get there. It absolutely, it, it does differ. Um, and I honestly think not to put more on a teacher's plate, but the first line are the teachers. So when we, you know, as teachers, we're the people making the modifications or putting in the supports or, or trying to accommodate. And then if that's not helpful, then we go to our case managers. Mm -hmm. Um, They're in the building. So if that's, I guess, if that is a student in the special education system, if they're not, then you have to refer to the INRS team. Okay. Um, the INRS team, which I really should know what that stands for, <laughs> uh, um, and referral services. Um, so they're the first stop. And then they go, they look at the student, they <clears throat> are a team. So they meet and they discuss. And if a student is then deemed that they need services. further evaluation or testing mm-hmm. or things like that, then they go to the child study team and the child study team then does the evaluation and goes on from there. And all of that having, having parent permission, because I know that's an important key factor in there um, because if parents aren't willing to do this, then it stops there. A hundred percent. Yeah. That was the very abbreviated version that, <laughs> that I gave you, but before anything, Parents should be made aware. They should be in the loop at all times. I'm a big fan of um, open communication, involving the parents. I mean, teachers, even even for students that don't need that extra support, teachers should be communicating with the parents. So they should be involved until the very end. I mean, they shouldn't be involved the entire process throughout the entire educational system or journey Mm-hmm. But yes, once a child is referred, the parents need to agree to any evaluations that a child study team would do. They also have the right to um, disagree and say, no, thank you. We don't want our child tested. Right. Right. I think that's an important piece for teachers to know, just because you don't want to do anything that could get you into trouble when it comes to evaluating services, support, et cetera. Obviously as a teacher, you're inside the classroom and giving that support as best as you can. But if it's anything further than that, um, I know that sometimes uh, those rules can kind of be iffy um, and some teachers may not know those rules. So they don't have 100%. necessarily the special education background. Yes, and that's good to know because I'm always speaking in the special ed education lingo and then not realizing there are general education teachers that haven't come across this before. Mm -hmm. And then with the pandemic right now, I've had more gen ed teachers not really knowing what to do in these situations. Um, 
So yes, my suggestion is always err on the side of caution and more permission is better than less permission. So keep the parents in the loop and make sure that um, everything is agreed to, that you have consent. Consent is huge and, and you need that from your parents. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you are interested, go learn a little bit about special education and the laws behind it. I have a master's in special ed, and that's really where I learned all of that information. Um, but yeah, definitely go look that up. Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about the steps and your role actually within the school. I didn't even have to ask you that question, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, so can you give like three teacher, three three teachers, three tips to any teachers? that they can take away from this conversation um, and when it comes to giving students support or services that they might need. So like inside the classroom, what can they be doing as teachers to help support their students? Before I end this episode, I want to tell you about an exciting and free opportunity I have for any teachers who may be interested. The other night, I was talking to my roommate about how I want more for this podcast and for you, my listeners. I want to provide as much value as I possibly can, so I am looking for one more teacher who might be interested in joining me on the podcast itself. It'll be formatted like a coaching session where you get to ask any questions you might have. All you have to do is fill out the form with the link in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. So, yes, one is to provide the modifications. Just overall good practice is a lot of positive reinforcement. So you want to make sure that you're using positive reinforcement, which could be praise, which could be earning stickers or an overall um, working and earning system. Mm-hmm. There's so many cool things out there that you can do where if the class co- collects like enough marbles at the end of the week, they have like flashlight reading or a pajama party or something. So we want to create an environment um, where the students are working and earning, but that they're also like engaged, excited, and it's okay to incorporate play and fun into education. And I know we have so many things that we have to be doing as teachers these days but we can't forget about that piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's huge. Um, and then the other piece is to look for the kids who may be quietly falling through the cracks um, and make sure that they're getting supports and modifications and talking with your colleagues. You can ask, like, don't be afraid to reach out, ask questions, talk to coworkers, talk to special education teachers if you're not sure. Um, Collaborating is huge. And again, I know everybody's days are jam-packed and we are busy from start to finish. And there's so, so much focus on testing and teaching to the test. Yeah. But it is um, making time to, to do your due diligence, for lack of better words. Yeah. For sure. And I think also having the kids engaged can also kind of pinpoint who's not, who's not engaging and who's 
possibly struggling and who's someone that you can focus on to help them get to grade level or help them get the services or support that they need. Um, super important. hundred percent. Not only that, asking for help. I think that is a huge um, thing. And I actually talk about it in, on my podcast a lot about how we really need to ask for help. We really need to start collaborating with teachers, um, with other teachers and other specialists in our field, because that's how you learn and that's how you grow. A hundred percent. And more times than not, people want to help. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yep. And there's people, most districts now do have a BCBA. Um, so the BCBA can help with modifications or with finding services. Um, there's speech, there's OT, there's PT. So collaborate with those people. Yeah. It's so important. Okay. Last question. What questions would you ask a teacher when observing a child in the classroom that possibly needs support or services? So when I go in, um, teachers and the paraprofessionals are a wealth of knowledge. So I ask them, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Why am I here? What, 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 um, what areas do you see your student needing help in? Mm-hmm. What are some of the, um, if it's a behavioral concern, like in what conditions do you see these behaviors? If it's an academic piece, sometimes you have teachers who say, well, this student's not listening. They're not doing what we're supposed, but they're supposed to be doing. And I always ask, but do they understand the work? Do they understand what's being asked of them? So we need to check to make sure that a student's not having a problem in the classroom just because they don't know like, is it, is it, they don't know the work? Is it too hard? Are they having a hard time processing what they're hearing or seeing? Um, so I ask all of those questions. Um, and then I observe to see if I see the same things that they're seeing. And I always ask, is this a typical, is this a typical day in the students academics or in the students school day? I ask that at the end, just to make sure that I'm seeing what they're seeing. And if not, I keep coming back. Right. That makes sense. That's good to know. I think that's important for teachers to know exactly what's going on um, inside their classroom before someone comes in to observe. Um, And I think a lot of times, especially as newbies or just not really knowing how to... um, process all that information it's hard to be the child's advocate especially when we're working towards tests which is ridiculous but that's another story Uh, (laughs) um, and when we have so much going on in the classroom teachers have 20 kids in the classroom nowadays without help with with no help and support services are lacking and it's it's a really big problem so that is super helpful uh last but not least Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can get support from you um, so that any teachers who might be interested in knowing more, understanding more about being a BCBA or just being able to support their students can reach you. Oh, thanks. So I have a website. It's um, jenniferbenna.com. And on there, 
I actually have um, a downloadable that's free. It's first a first then visual. So teachers can download that, use it in their classroom. Um, and I'm there. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok um, <laughs> at Jennifer Benna. And I also am at Jen at Jennifer Benna com for any emails that or questions that anyone has at any time. Amazing. Go check her out. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There's so much information that these teachers can take away. I'm super excited for them to have it. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast episode. If you could share this episode with your teacher friends, leave a review, or just share the episode on Instagram and tag me at Shaping Little Minds Podcast, I love to connect with you. So as always, keep learning, growing, and becoming your best teacher self. I am so proud of you. See you next time, teachers.